star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whichever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Each week, the Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio, and with me is Susan Fox. Howdy! The station's executive producer. She does that a little different every time. Tune in each week to hear all the variations. Tonight, we're pleased (laughs) and delighted to have with us as our special guest, Canadian science fiction and fantasy uh, humorist uh, and novelist, Iron Naiman, author... Of welcome to the multiverse. Sorry for the inconvenience. Uh, welcome, Ira. It's good to have you with us. It's good to be here. So we've just um, we have just read the first couple of chapters of the book, and um, uh, and I've already started the like rewriting songs for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> his his blog is called. Um, He's got a blog page called La, La Page au Fall, which I'm enjoying a great deal as well. Oh, thank you. Including thank you. His, his... And what was the... Uh, we've also been listening to a little of his alternate reality radio series. Uh, well, so far just a pilot, but we are hopeful. It's called The Weight of Information, and it can be found on YouTube. Yeah, we'll, we'll put up uh, URLs for all of that for people's okay. reference later. You know, with your permission, I think after the show, is it okay if we run the pilot for people to listen to? Oh, absolutely. I'm always uh, happy to have more opportunity to get uh, a larger audience, yeah. Great. We can, we can do that. We can do that. As a matter of fact, we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of radio shows ourselves, and uh, we have... Product, we have um, new productions uh, starting up all the time. Uh, maybe your show might be one of them if you get your funding. Well, uh, let's talk, yeah. Is there a Kickstarter? Or a, <laughs> yeah, is there or a Kickstarter for it? Well, at the moment, I'm still looking at producers. I'm still trying to interest producers. So um, I haven't given that much thought to a Kickstarter uh, to the Kickstarter process, but... Um, I do have that in my back pocket in case nothing else um, works. 
Well, if you do, let us know, and we'll be glad to pitch in. You know, we'll oh, be glad to we'll you. be glad to put radio, Krypton Radio's muscle behind the Kickstarter campaign and see if we can't get something going for you. Because this here, behold, the power of the social media. Absolutely. There you go. Well, personally, I'm a 98 pound weakling, so I'll <laughs> gladly get anybody else's power I can get. Or more like 120 pounds and and flexing in front of the mirror and dreaming of Schwarzenegger. But but gosh darn it, if we all do it together, we will lift that 500 pound weight. There you go. Well, between us, we're what? Uh, 100 and, uh, 218 pounds. Grr, arc. <laughs> so, let's talk about Welcome to the Multiverse. Uh, fair enough. Shall I start by describing it for the readers? Absolutely, uh, yes. Listeners? Yes, I think that's a great for idea. For your potential readers, yes. It could happen. Um, sure. Um, the basic idea, well, first I, I guess I should explain that I am actually a comedy writer of long standing. Uh, I've only just started combining it with science fiction in the last eight or ten years, uh, which may seem like a lot, but I've actually been writing for over 30. Um, this is the culmination of a series of um, articles that I had done on, for my website um, for a, a project called the Alternate Reality News Service. The idea is that they send reporters off into other dimensions and they come back and write news articles about what they find there. Uh, it's been described by a couple of readers as a science fiction version of The Onion. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, there are three books in that series, actually, and uh, people can look uh, look for them on uh, Amazon. Uh, I was thinking what are the, of, Before we go on, what are the names of the books, and what's the publisher? Uh, sure. Uh, Alternate uh, Reality Ain't What It Used to Be, uh-huh. What Were Once Miracles Are Now Children's Toys, uh, and the latest book is Luna for the Loonies. And that all of these are line. by... That is a, a Heinlein vibe to it, doesn't it? It does. All of these well, are by Ira Naiman. That's N-A-Y-M-A-N, if you're looking for it on Amazon as you're listening to this broadcast. Um, uh, yeah. The thing about that is that I'm not a Heinlein fan, so I didn't actually read a lot of Heinlein when <laughs> I was growing up. Uh-huh. So uh, to me, I did not know about that until actually a reader pointed it out to me. Ah, um, yes. I, I have long wished to uh, uh, shoot the feature film version of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress on location. So <laughs> this, this, the opportunity has not presented itself. On top of Heinlein, exactly. But what I tell people now is, of course, that it's an homage. So just forget what I said for the last 30 seconds. Right? Yeah, yeah, homage. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly. a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Let's talk about uh, let's talk about your your uh, central character Numi. Is it Numi or no, Noomi or nu- Numi? Numi. Yeah, rhymes with gloomy nu- and gitchy gloomy. So she's she's uh, of Indian extraction apparently, and uh, uh, she, she has dark skin. I don't think I actually went that far into her background, but yes, she she has dark skin. Okay, um, Numi. Uh, so. Uh, Welcome to the Multiverse is a kind of an offshoot of the alternate reality news service. It's about an organization called the Transdimensional Authority, which appears in some stories in uh, my previous books. Uh, but here I've expanded it into the novel. Um, the basic idea is that travel between universes is possible, um, but it's very tightly regulated for reasons that um, you find out later in the book. 
Um, so the Transdimensional Authority is the organization that um, polices travel between universes. Uh, Numi has just uh, graduated from the Alternaut Academy, where she learned how to become an investigator. And um, the book is really about how she um, how she handles herself on her first case. It's the um, I, I find it uh, I find it alarmingly uh, resonant uh, with uh, with the transition that most regular normal students have. Uh, moving from the academic world into the real one. Yeah, especially girls. Well, as you may know, um, she was top of her class, and she thought that she would um, be slotted into an investigator's position immediately, but instead she gets uh, shunted aside into the um, pool that's it's got a really long and impressive sounding uh, title but it's basically the secretarial pool well if she'd been a boy it'd have been the mail room so and spell that however you like <laughs> uh, and part of the uh, early part of the story is how she actually overcomes that to to become an investigator um, the, the really important part for me of the story is say the first roughly first third to first half of it where um she is she is um uh, paired up with a, a a more seasoned investigator who's named uh, Crash Chumley and the two of them go off on their first case and they are chasing through various universes to uh find somebody uh, who they eventually will later in the novel but in the Spoilers! first early oh <laughs> I don't think that's going to spoil too much for people. We right, we all pick right, our right. happy endings, don't we? Um, but what's important for the the early part of the novel is that in the first four universes they travel to, uh, she comes face to face with different versions of herself. And that's got to be. I mean, that's. I was I was looking at that as the description for the book, and uh, that's that's got to be unnerving in any yeah, case. I'm, not only unnerving, but what a tremendously fertile ground for storytelling. Well, I think the... Uh, you know, character development. I mean, you don't get closer than that. Has anyone compared this with Jenny Everywhere, the, the sort of open-source uh, comic book uh, concept? Are you familiar um, with it? Not Jenny so Everywhere? far. Uh, the sorts of things that in, um, kind of set the tone for it were um, films, actually. Um, the uh, Sliding Doors... I think was the American film and uh, the double life of Veronique, which is a French film, both of which deal with women who um, have a choice to make early in the film. And then we follow the two different paths of the women who make the two different choices. Oh, Can you still hear me? Yeah. We're, we'll yes, we can. We'll edit okay. that part out. Yeah, sorry, I um, extravagant hand gestures and I knocked over the mic. <laughs> See, that, that's that's not the sort of thing for yeah. radio, and I've learned not to do that. <laughs> I've also learned not to poke at things on bookshelves that fall down and uh, like that. Anyway, yeah. uh, well, Terry so, Pratchett called that the trousers of time. 
And there was a very startling uh, alternate plot line in one of the Discworld books where... Depending on which leg you, you traveled yeah, down. Yeah, well, on. the other leg would not have been a good place, <laughs> apparently. Well, this is the thing, though. Um, I've already actually had a reviewer question whether four different universes were really necessary. And, you know, my response is that my original um, impetus for writing that particular section of the novel was that... Most of the time when you deal with stories that deal with alternate realities, uh, they tend to be binary. It's one or the other, uh, and usually one is better than the other. Uh And one of the points that I wanted to make is that, um, you know, we make different choices at different points in our lives, which would end up with not just two different alternatives, but many, many, many different alternatives. Uh, And to some extent, they're not necessarily better or worse, but just different kind of lives. Um, in the first one, for instance, um, Numi is a, actually a housewife, um, and she's actually quite happy in that life. The fact that uh, she had a different uh, choice, she made a different choice, and her life went in a different way, it didn't mean it was worse than the life of the main Numi who we see through most of the book. Um, and you see that through most of the uh, the alternatives that she goes through. Um, so I wanted to make something, I wanted to create something that was a little more complex than just the black and white binaries that you usually get with alternate reality stories. Mm. Um, and so, yes, you know, my answer to the, the question would be, uh, I really do think you needed more than two alternatives. The flip side of that is that you make following the storyline a lot more work for the reader. And uh, there's, there's always the danger that you're going to make the storyline so complex. And this is the problem with time travel stories as well that you make the storyline so complex that the the author is perfectly comfortable with everything because they've got the outline in front of them and they know where everything goes. But the reader, if they miss a trick somewhere, uh, you know, it's like it's like studying mathematics. If you if you skip algebra, you're not going to do well in calculus. Well, I don't think um, I, I don't think that I actually have that problem, and the reason why I don't think I have that problem is because uh, I'm not really exploring um, the actual timelines, so I'm not trying to detail where the decisions were necessarily made. What I'm really interested in is the characters as they exist in the present, um, and just exploring the, the the people as they actually are. Uh, so I think that'll be hopefully fairly easy for most readers to follow. That's good. It's like it's like good filmmaking. Show me what's happening right now, and and that's what you're doing. Yeah, with just a, a enough of a backstory so you know um, how people got to where they are now, but not enough that it will bog you down necessarily. One of the interesting subtexts, of course, is that uh, the story is set in what passes for the future. Uh, We have talking furniture, for example. And Numi's bed, in fact, has a talking headboard headboard and a talking footboard, which have differing opinions. I'd throw the whole bed out if I had a boyfriend over it. I tell you that right now. (laughs) Yes, that will become an issue later on. (laughs) 
I don't probably want to know. in a future <laughs> novel as well. Um, I like the I... stove. What a sweetie! <laughs> I, like, I want one of those. It's like a puppy. All the all the furniture in her house has um, personality implants, implant chips. So yes, they all talk with their own voices. Um, and the and the uh, her her mirror, the one she brushes her teeth facing every morning, seems to be upset uh, obsessed with uh, uh, Angelina Jolie's, Angelina Jolie's twenty seven clones. Which it's, I, uh, I, I yes, found well, that a, and quite we all? Well, who wouldn't be? My God. Exactly. I found that exactly. A, I found that a delightful fixation. You know, it really uh, the absurdity of each situation. I mean, her entire life is really a, a complex net of absurdity. And how yeah, one, and yours isn't. Uh, <laughs> point taken. Point taken. <laughs> <laughs> but how one. Um, uh, how one maintains one's sanity and, and continuity of self through a constantly evolving environment like that. Uh, well, I, I that's the basis that, of the story. Yeah, it? I, it strikes me that that would be a, a major uh, telling point in the story. I do think that as human beings, we all adjust to our environment. So... Um, while it might be disconcerting for you and I, somebody who had grown up in an environment like that would just assume that that is the way the world is and uh, live accordingly. No, that's true. You live in the world you're in. Mm-hmm. So Which, much. again, is one of the themes of the, the multiple uh, versions of the character, right? Live in the they world all you're in. adjust. You know. Well, I'm Sorry. glad you're just following one person because it could get complicated. The 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 recent uh, papal election. Can you imagine if twenty seven versions of of the Vatican got involved in all this decision making? <laughs> oh, but it's happen. also you know it's the way you think of um, alternate realities. The the multiverse, as I envision it, is a an infinite number of infinite worlds in which, in theory, I guess anything is possible. So, to use the example of the papal enclave. Um, you have to assume that there is a world in which every single cardinal who was there is elected pope. Yikes! Yes. So the uh, yes. Yes. So so everyone uh, associated with the papacy has a certain amount amount of um, uh, ponti- pontificality. Potential po- P- potential pontificality. Potential po- pontif- <laughs> Yeah. I'm stumbling pontif- over that one. Um, yeah, it's, um, the... And the uh, arguments before Passover. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. <laughs> so well, us, but on the other hand, everybody wins somewhere. Mm, uh, yes. Yeah, it, well, then, it's but then the ones you, who lose want to go switch over to the universe where they win, and then all 27, you know, Rabbi, you know... Shlomowitz. <laughs> that would be a bit of a bit of a dog pile. It's a good thing that we have that temporal authority, trans temporal authority, to sort things out, so that doesn't happen. So in the uh, so in the universe, the setting that Numi travels in, um, the trans dimensional authority has more ability to travel from one reality to the next than pretty much anybody else because of what they do. How much interaction? Is there between the different realities, and um, 
are there formalized relations between one reality and the next? Yes, uh, there definitely are. That's not the subject of this particular book, but I can and have imagined uh, other novels that deal specifically with the diplomatic corps, whose job is to, you know, open up trade with new uh, universes. So, um, yes, that is a, that does exist. Um, watch for it in the future. Yay! Yay! So, what about? Um... Uh, what about Chumley? Crash, uh, Crash Chumley. Crash Chumley. And when I, say, when I say the word Chumley, I can't help thinking of the walrus sidekick of Tennessee Tuxedo. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help it. So um, I just I, figure it, it's, I think it sounds like C-D. one of those posh English names. It's spelled like C-H-O-L-O-M-O-N-D-E-L-Y-N-D-I-G-H. And it's pronounced Chumley. It's kind of like Worcester sauce. Gosh, I'm sorry, Tennessee. Yeah. You do. You should do radio voices. I, I do radio voices. I'm doing radio voice right now. Oh, okay. I'm imitating myself. And I'm doing a spectacular They're job really, of it, I must say. Really, really the best. There you go. Well, of course, I have no idea what that reference was to, so it oh, was uh, a children's, oh, 1960s children's cartoon in the U.S. It was It was a cartoon that ran as uh, as extras alongside a cartoon called um, Underdog. Okay. That Underdog was, I'm familiar right. with. Yeah, Don under- Adams as a penguin. Don Adams as a penguin. And he had a sidekick that was a walrus named Chumley, and that's all you really need okay. to know under the circumstances. It's on no. yeah, and he, yeah, and he was. You so- had me at Don Adams at a, as a penguin. Though. Yep, I thought it would. Yeah, it was... It was uh... <laughs> Come along, Chumley! <laughs> yeah. It was... Um... Well, they were they were constantly they were constantly getting themselves in trouble, and it was all it was always the penguin, uh, you know, um, the Don Adams character who was getting getting them into trouble, and it was always Chumley, the one who all who thought about things before jumping in, a little bit. He wasn't that bright, but he was smart enough not to jump in before he was he had finished thinking things through. That always saved their sorry butts pretty much every time. Yeah, well, if he'd been thinking real harder, he'd remember that. Walruses eat penguins. Oh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> not not heavy on the natural history. Those guys. So tell us well, more. Tell us I more chose, about. Crash. I chose the name Chumley because it sounded friendly, but of course I added the nickname Crash uh, to undercut the friendliness. So there is a kind of right. tension um, well, in the way the character is named. Well, and I, right? I thought I thought it adds weight to the character. You know, like the and that that well, sort of ties the, into the walrus thing. At least velocity. <laughs> Mass times speed. So tell us more know? about. Uh, tell we we only saw the first two, uh, the first two chapters of the book. Uh, Welcome to the multiverse. Sorry for the inconvenience. And we really only meet uh, Inspector Chumley in about the last uh, fifteen pages. And he doesn't get to say much. And he doesn't get to he say much. Tell us, tell us more about. Uh, Chumley and what what his life has been like. Well, there is kind of a backstory to him, but I think it would be better if readers experienced Mm, it themselves. mm -hmm. Um, Let me just say that for most of the book, he is a um, solid, if slightly boring um, lead investigator. For those of you who want to actually buy this book, if you've heard, you know, 
we're going to keep talking. But if you're convinced already, you can go to uh, Amazon.com and you can get the Kindle edition of Welcome to the Multiverse for a very, very inexpensive $3.99, which includes free wireless delivery. So you could be reading this before you even finish listening to this interview. And probably analogously uh, reasonable prices uh, in the other Amazons worldwide. Is this published in hardcover as well? Is there a, is there a paperback version of the book? Um, there will be a paperback version of the book. It uh, actually it will be launched at um, a convention called EasterCon, which is held in uh, Bradford, England, on um, March 30th. On Easter so, weekend. On Easter weekend, that's, that's right. That's this year. That's coming that's up real fast. Week. That's, that's next yeah, yeah. week. That's yes. next week. By the time, by the time this, this show airs, it will have happened. Yes, yeah, so it will be available by the time uh, people it's can a, listen to this. Uh, yes. We are... Today is, we're recording on... Oh, on March 20th. Yeah, we're recording on March 20th. And, and he's talking March 30th, so... And, right, March 30th. Actually, this will air on... Uh, oh, this who knows? will air on March 23rd. It might be So tomorrow. people will have a week to hurry up and get their tickets to EasterCon so that they can get their hands on this book. There you go. Auto- now that's, that's British... autograph- yeah, but you can't Sorry. autograph a Kindle. That's the problem. That's true, and it, well, you can, but you know, it kind of it, it makes it hard to read the other stuff. You go all the way to EasterCon, and you, you you come back with the you know the screen all marked up. You can't read your book. Yeah, that is a problem. That's Actually, what I usually say when I'm at cons uh, selling books. Whoop. Oh, okay. Uh, when I'm at cons selling books. Um, I have both the uh, the print book and the uh, electronic book available, and I'm quite happy for people to buy the electronic book because um, even though the the amount of money is not as great, um, I'm at a point in my career where building readership is really important. Uh, but I do mm-hmm. tell people that they don't want me to be signing their computer screen right. for the obvious reasons. Yeah. Right, and so that's... it's actually worth it for them to get that physical paper versions that they can have on their bookshelf and be graced with the signature of Ira Neiman. Well, I also have to tell you, um, you know, the the electronic version of the novel has been out uh, since last November, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really real to me until I held a paper copy. Um, I understand there's a lot of reasons why people want e-books and, you know, more power to them. Uh, but to me, the real... I don't know. There's there's something about a, a real physical book that just can't be replaced. We that may you... be the last generation that feels that way. I could be wrong, and I hope I am, but we'll see. As long as well, they're there's... reading. Well, there is something about holding something that you've written in your hand and holding it up before your eyes and saying to yourself, I made this. This is a physical, real thing. And... Uh, and it's, it is a very magical uh, feeling. There's no question. Yeah. A number of authors have gone to uh, you know bringing uh, bookmarks or postcards with the name of the book and something that they can sign to give to uh, ebook purchasers. So they have a little something, you know. So the radio play, which we we listened to, uh, we listened to the first half of the uh, the 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 pilot for it. That was absolutely hysterical. You did a good job. I mean, yeah, 
it, that's the beauty part of of audio production is you know building the pictures in your head there's there's an old bit by Stan Freeberg it was it was a it was an advertisement for uh, selling time on radio stations uh, radio advertising and basically uh, you know <coughs> it it involved uh, building a giant hot fudge sundae in Lake Michigan and all right bring in the chariot and here comes the, the, the helicopter. helicopter noise <laughs> now and the punchline is now try that on television <laughs> Well, um, before I, I, I've been writing prose since about uh, 1984. Before that, I spent a decade writing screenplays. And um, I'm very conscious of the difference between writing for different media. Um, When it comes to writing for radio, for instance, um, I know that because you don't have the visuals, you have to... Um, you have to build an image in the listener's mind using sound alone. And so that's really what I tried to convey through, um, through the weight of information, the radio play you're talking about. Occasionally you can get by with written exposition. And we just interviewed a fellow last week. Uh, his name is Reginald Nelson, uh, who is the co-creator of a series called The Primordials, that's theprimordials.com for the listeners. And it, it, uh, it recounts the story of ancient African gods who are in fact not gods, but extraterrestrials who come to Earth and live among us. And uh, two of them are banished by their society. They've lost their powers. And when they get them back, that's the inciting incident that causes Hurricane Katrina. And their powers are all distributed. Uh, it sort of leaks. You know, it's such a huge event getting the powers back. Yeah. That and somehow, try that on television. Right, and try that on television. Uh, but they use, uh, they have a narrator who handles the exposition and sets up the scenes and this kind of thing for well, the individual. The narration it, does the scene setting. So it's, it, I that think can it certainly, work. It, it can work. I, I think it certainly has its place. In, yeah, but in, he's been writing radio. screenplay, so it sounds like he's more moved toward the show me as a, you know. You know the show me, so you, show you, me you started out doing screenplays then. Well, um, that's true. Uh, I will say um, that, and you may have caught, there is a narrator in The Weight of Information. Um, his name is Marlo, and he is actually the Marlo, but he's... Um, he's finding it hard to find detective work now, so he's doing freelance narration for <laughs> radio plays. Right, I remember that. That was very funny. Yeah, so, um, you know, there is a narrator, but uh, my sort of philosophy is that exposition is deadly, and <laughs> uh-huh. as somebody who wants to keep my audience laughing, I try to minimize it as much as possible and make sure that where exposition is absolutely necessary i also have something humorous going on as a writer i can attest as a writer myself i can attest to the fact that exposition while necessary to set the scene also brings your your story to a complete halt while you do it nothing can happen while you're talking about the color of the drapery and the the texture of the carpet and how well, yeah, haggard but this is this is framed as a news was. show, so it'd be easy mm-hmm. enough to have the anchor man. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> yes and no. Um, I should explain that 
um, there are two parts to the pilot. Uh, the first part is uh, an alternate reality news network radio broadcast. But the second part is actually a behind-the-scenes narrative of what goes on. Um, what happens is the alternate reality news service sends its reporters into other dimensions through an object called the Dimensional Portal TM. And uh, the Dimensional Portal TM malfunctions and sends 127 different versions of a guy named Bob Smith back to their headquarters. Oh, <laughs> that's great. So the story <laughs> in the second half is all the people at the Alternate Reality News Service now have to deal with this guy. They have to figure out why uh, the Dimensional Portal TM sent 127 versions of him to them and how they can send him back. Each to their own correct respective universe. Exactly, that's Even right. Stargate did that once. Oh, our list, the listen, our listening. Uh, I've got to edit that part out too. Our listening audience is in for a treat. Uh, we listened to much of this, and at the top of the hour, you are going to hear it for yourself as well. We're going to make this a special extended edition of the Event Horizon, which we never do. So except you, when we run over. Except when we run over. Uh, because so that we're you can hear, So that you, the audience, can hear this wonderful, uh, this wonderful pilot that we hope someday will turn into a series so that we can host it on Krypton Radio as a, as a series. Or at least promote the living daylights Or at least promote the living it. daylights out of it. So, um, there is... The question on my mind, we we have a visitor here. We have our dog, Tegan, who has decided to crawl under the desk and poke her head up under my keyboard, demanding attention. So if you hear a little so jingle... So you hear a little, the little jingling... It's Tegan the Wonder Dog. That's, that's, her, that's the stuff on her collar. Jingling. Is Tegan a science fiction fan as well? Well... She's furry fandom, I'm yeah, pretty furry, sure. Yeah, furry fandom. Pretty sure, pretty sure she's furry fandom. She never takes yeah. the suit off. Yeah. She's got that kind of Doctor Who name. Yeah, yeah. She's sort of just a big dog smile here. So, um, what was it? Uh, I mean, obviously, you've got a background in screenwriting. What what things have you written? Um, what got uh, that that got produced? And I don't mean that in an insulting way because. Uh, about ninety out of ninety-one scripts never see the, the never see production. That's about my average too, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it happens that way. I, I think I mentioned before we uh, started recording that uh, I used to be part of a radio sketch comedy group called uh, Dead Air. Uh, and we do have a tape and a, now a CD of uh, the best of uh, the best of the sketches that we produced, um, which is available, I think, uh, pretty much nowhere. <laughs> but if uh, if people you know are really curious about that, they can contact me, and uh, I'd be happy to uh, to send it off to them. Uh, I produced a short film called The Love Box. Mm -hmm. uh, the Love Box is a a uh, family sitcom about a family that runs over and uh, the, sorry that lives over and runs uh, the biggest porn store in the world. <laughs> okay. It was. Uh, well, we know I how actually, families are made, I suppose. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. It. I actually wrote uh, thirteen episodes of that. Produced a, a short film 
um, that isn't a pilot, but kind of gives you a sense of what uh, the series would have been about. Um, And that's not available anywhere either, as far as I know. But again, uh, I have 100 CDs with, or DVDs rather, with... uh, uh, with the pilot, uh, uh, with the film, <clears throat> short film, uh, uh, that people, if if they're curious, can uh, can get. Um, Produce the radio uh, pilot for the radio series, and um, mostly because I'm not really built for producing. Um, mostly, I just write. So, what was it? What was it that that you think triggered your transition from screenwriting into general comedy writing and then into uh, and then into writing uh, books and, and right. science fiction in particular um, have you been involved in science fiction for a long time well I was a, a fan I was a big reader of science fiction when I was a kid so um, yes uh, I've always been a fan of Doctor Who because Doctor Who has always been around, uh, except for that one hiatus. But um, we don't talk about yeah. that anymore, do we? No, no, exactly. Um, so I, I would say science fiction had always been there uh, in my life, um, more or less. I was a fan of the original Star Trek, which blows people's minds because most people I know uh, were Next Generation fans. More than original uh, fans. So, Let's face you know. it: at our age, most most of uh, fandom was not alive to see the original series. When there you go. Aired. So I always lose the Kirk versus Picard arguments. It's just <laughs> nothing I can do about that. Uh, in terms of the transition from script to uh, prose, um, there are two sorts of factors involved in that. The first is that. Um, when I was growing up, the, the thing that I most wanted to be in my life um, was Art Bookwald. And uh, nobody yeah. remembers who Art Bookwald was. Yes, but we used, do, we because do. he had a daily column in the Los Angeles Times for years and years and years. Okay, there you go. A political uh, satirist. So that was my original impetus. Um, I moved into scripts because that was kind of more... Where I was leaning, I have a, a an undergrad degree that is almost a screenwriting degree, um, yeah, so and do, I actually, so do I, actually, what is almost a screenwriting? It is. Really <laughs> well, it's when yeah, I, if you I have, have an undergraduate degree. Uh, well, it's in like communication, yeah, like in like, which makes me licensed to communicate. I guess I don't know. No, no, no. Okay, what it was was this. It is. Um, a degree in interdisciplinary fine arts with a concentration in creative writing. So technically I was a creative writing major, but instead of taking um, prose and poetry workshops, I took screenwriting and playwriting workshops. Cool. Uh, Three years of screenwriting, actually. And Uh then what that allowed me to do was um, uh, for a few years I used to write for creative screenwriting. Back in the day, like when it had just started as a oh, um, an academic it. journal uh-huh. rather than a, a magazine. Uh huh. I remember it. So um, yeah. So I mean, I had this this uh, education in screenwriting. So I thought I might as well write a bunch of screenplays, and I did. But I got to a point after, like I said, about ten years, where um, I felt it wasn't challenging enough. 
if you can believe that. Uh, not the the career building. That will always be challenging for me, but the actual writing itself. And I think that writers have to find new challenges. They can't uh, allow themselves to get in a rut with the same thing over and over again. Uh, so I switched to prose because I needed to, as to grow as an artist, I needed to do something new. We find I personally found that your work uh, is very strongly informed by uh, uh, Terry Pratchett and uh, Douglas, Adams. Douglas Adams. Uh, I get the Douglas Adams one a lot. Terry Pratchett, not so much. In fact, uh, I've had a couple of... Uh, the book has had two negative reviews, and both of them said I was trying to be Terry Pratchett and failed. Um, that's that's an odd thing. I, I don't... I If I were going I can, to... I can see the parallel, because it's it's smart writing, and, and sentences are, are long and well-constructed, and very funny. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, I... Uh, first, let me say that... Um, uh, that I'm always flattered because, of course, I'm a fan of both of those authors. I think they're wonderful, and I do think that, uh, to some extent, you can see influences, right? But if we're talking my influences, my first influences when I was a kid were uh, the Marx Brothers and Monty Python's Flying Circus. This yes. sort of <laughs> yeah, we can definitely see we can definitely see those undertones. This sort of anarchic. Uh, things coming at you from all directions all at once kind of anything for a joke kind of uh attitude towards uh what i write uh but the thing is and and this is where i have to sort of veer away from influences and say that my hope is that at this point in my writing career um although you can you know draw connections between certain influences uh, I hope that I've come to a point where I'm writing something that is uniquely mine. Um, there will only ever be one uh, Douglas Adams. There will only ever be one Terry Pratchett. And I don't want to be known as uh, a second-rate like, Douglas Adams. Yeah. You know, I really want to be known as uh, a first-rate Ira Naiman. Here, here. And with that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. Uh, we have had as our guest uh, for the last hour uh, science fiction and fantasy uh, humorist. humorist and novelist Ira Naiman, author of Welcome to the Multiverse, Sorry for the Inconvenience, currently available on Amazon via Kindle uh, for $3.99. It releases on in Easter paperback... Weekend. Easter weekend at EasterCon in um, uh, what's the name of the city again, please? England. In, well, it's Bradford, in England. England. Yeah. Brad, oh, Bradford, <laughs> England, which is an interesting note because uh, just two weeks ago we ran a story about a man dressed as Batman who brought a, uh, a criminal uh, who brought to a justice. criminal to justice in the Bradford police station. I then, saw photos of him. It. I'm so hoping he's going to show up at EasterCon. <laughs> And then he left into the night, and the the reporters were all agog and and reporting on him as though he was the Batman, because everybody wants to believe in fairy tales. You know what? There'll be a dozen Batman at, at EasterCon. Oh, there Just would have watch. to be. There would have to be. <laughs> I'm Batman. No. Many, I'm Batman. No. Many, I'm Batman. <laughs> how many of them actually caught a criminal? 
That's a really good question. And uh, the world may never the, know. The world may never know. <laughs> Ira Naiman, it has been an absolute delight. The hour has gone by. You're in our a new flash. best friend. We loved talking Until to you. Until next week. But <laughs> well, thank yeah. For, thank you for the best friendship for a week at least. <laughs> <laughs> we'd like to. We'd like to have you back. Uh, you know, at some point, when you've got a new thing, a when new you've got book, a new thing, oh, we'd love, we'd love new, to hear after you come back, after you come back from Bradford, England, uh, we'd love to talk to you again and and find out how things went. Okay, well, I I definitely like to talk about that. I should also mention that before the end of the year, I will have two new alternate reality news service books out. Yay! Oh wow! Okay. One is called um, The Street Finds Its Own Uses for Mutant Technologies. That's going to be another general collection. Uh, And I'm also really excited about the other book, which is called um, The Alternate Reality News Service's Guide to Love, Sex, and Robots. And that's going to be a collection of uh, advice columns. I thought you didn't give love advice in your columns. Um, the alternate reality news service actually has two advice columnists and um, and I've just managed to write enough uh, material for a book I should also mention that I actually want uh, readers to submit questions for future columns just like a real advice columnist oh, that um, smashing that would be smashing in the in the, so, love, in the love robot world, the uh, the columns in those men's magazines have got to be um, bow <laughs> chicka bow bow crash burn gear shift. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking more along the lines of um, you know, dear Abby. Oh, okay. But with a science <laughs> with a science fiction kind of humorous science fiction slant, I guess. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to that. Oh, thank you. This concludes. And thank you for having me. Oh, it was absolutely. a lot of fun for me too. We absolutely adored having you with us. Uh, this has been the Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It will broadcast. Uh, this is. Uh, I'm looking for my mouse pointer here. You don't know when it'll be broadcast. Oh, it yes, could be I do. It will, be, it will be broadcast on March twenty third, two thousand thirteen, at nine p.m. And rerun. And eternity. rerun the following Sunday at 5 p.m. on Krypton Radio. And uh, stay tuned. Uh, The episode of X-1 will be delayed about... uh, How long is the trailer? I mean, how long is your pilot? (laughs) About 25 minutes. About 25. It'll be delayed about 25 minutes while we run the pilot for the radio series... um, Alternate Reality News Service. The Weight of Information. The Weight of Information. Thank you. And let's find that button to... You can. Pre- you want to press the button? Can I press the button? You can press the button. You have been listening to Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Gene Turnbow and Executive Producer Susan Fox. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by Christopher B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Christine Cherry. And the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer Larry Niven.
Join us next week on Saturday, 9 p.m. Pacific, for the next episode of The Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. You have just heard this week's episode of The Event Horizon for March 23, 2013, featuring our special guest, Mr. Ira Naiman, the author of Welcome to the Multiverse, Sorry for the Inconvenience. Now, stay tuned for the radio pilot that he produced called The Weight of Information. Immediately following that will be our weekly offering of X-1. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, owner and station manager of Krypton Radio. Enjoy. Scandal on Earth Prime 257090-beta, where after nearly a decade of random typing, the Million Monkey Project has finally recreated a classic work of art, and it wasn't by Shakespeare. Meanwhile, on Earth Prime 387129-epsilon, the Bush administration has entered into a pact with the Democratic Union of Great Old Ones, Dagoo, in return for creating a portal that will allow representatives of Dagoo to travel to our dimension, they have agreed to aid in the war in Iraq. Critics of the government claim that there is nothing democratic about the Great Old Ones, that they are, in fact, ancient beings of pure evil whose goal is to enslave humanity. Could the price for victory in Iraq be too high? And in Universe 887004-Omega, the Ungulative Trimestries has declared Universal Impanishad. Again. Good evening. I'm Allison Thumbwinkle Metonymy. And I'm Adonine Bourgeoiseron. And you're listening to Alternate Reality News Service 3's Multiverse Tonight. We'll have more on those stories later in the broadcast, but we start with the latest on the big floating heads on Earth Prime 483884-Gamma. The alternate reality news service's trans-dimensional traffic reporter, Arturo Big Bang Booty, reports. I'm standing outside Grand Central Station in... Yo, you're on TV right now. No, actually, this is radio... Oh, well, you then. <laughs> That's right, I'm in New York. Above me, the city's big floating head watches over all of us. It's a massive thing. Easily the size of a hot air balloon. I mean, it's really, really big. You could park a car in one of its nostrils. That's how big it is. If you used the forehead as a billboard, it could be seen over 100 miles away. There is a reason they call them big floating heads. And the reason is that they are Big! <clears throat> At 12.37 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, a mere hour and 27 minutes ago, the big floating heads that appeared simultaneously over 30 major cities across the world and Paris, precisely six years and one month ago, spoke. And as we should have expected, although few of us did... What they said was complete nonsense. Express vernacular. 
That was the big floating head from Birth Afghanistan. Perhaps surprisingly for heads the size of a football field, not a professional field, perhaps more like a high school football field, which is still plenty big for a head. Let me tell you, the big floating heads did not speak in a booming bass, but a soft whisper. I had almost forgotten that the big fat heads were even there. Said cuticle enhancement surgeon and New Yorker, Marilyn Monroe killer. It was like the time Grammy came to stay with us. Most of the time she sat in her corner casting gloom and zoom predictions on the family with yarrow stalks. Then just when you'd almost forgotten she was there, blam! She'd say something like, when the sun is benign, search out Considine. Nobody ever really had the knife to ask her what she was talking about. And now, Grammy Monroe Killer never said that. What exactly are the big floating heads? Three different answers have been given by different groups of headologists. Those who study the big floating heads. The first group believes that the big floating heads are projections of the consciousness of people who live in another dimension. For this group, the words are their attempt to communicate with us, although they are either really dumb or very bad at learning languages. This view is represented by Monique Mercury, a feminist studies professor at Wellington College with an amateur's interest in the big floating heads. Some people initially thought the big floating heads were manifestations of a deity. Many of them found peace in the knowledge that they were constantly being watched. In cities where the heads appeared, marriages were saved, crime rates went down, Yim Carrey movies couldn't be played in theatre. They believed that theirs was a loving god. Of course, they don't know what to make of the recent statement. Some followers have become disenchanted with the incomprehensibility of the Ed. Others are tracking down as many of the statements as possible, hoping to eventually come up with enough to feed a holy book. <laughs> Good luck with that. According to Mercury, headology was developed by a rational response to this irrational belief. And she expects headology will someday supplant it. Hedology is superior. Hedology is scientific. See? That was the big floating head that hovers over Toronto, Newfoundland. The second group of hadologists argue that the first group has to be wrong. They point to the dozens of head cams set up to capture the existence of the big floating heads which show that they never take a break, never blink, never appear to breathe, never even move their eyeballs. Speaking for this group is Aloysius Pasha Krugman, head, uh, primary headologist in the sociology department of the University of Toronto. <laughs> yeah, kids will change their webcams on the strangest things. As a parent, I should be appalled at the way my children are wasting their time in the most advanced technologies available to man. But as a scientist, I find myself exhilarated by the research potential. Krugman believes that the big floating heads are actually computer-generated projections, possibly from another dimension, 
but just as possibly from another planet in this dimension. The fact that they don't blink could be a programming error, or their programmers might have felt it wasn't worth the bandwidth. Lord knows we've all had to deal with less than optimal software that was shipped to make a deadline. Say, why are we doing this interview on our roller coaster? That was the big floating head over the flat of the Swanbrook Twins. 27 Zatapatik Road, Leicester. The third group of headologists uses Occam's razor to reject both of the previous theories. According to freelance headologist Carl Rorschach, who is currently on a two-and-a-half-week limited contract with the Gotterdammerung Institute of Sri Lanka. As you see, we don't need... You don't have a Swedish accent? Uh, no. I thought every academic had a Swedish accent. Well, obviously not. Oh. Well, we don't need... Could to... you answer my question with a Swedish accent? What? Just to, you know, avoid confusion. Ah. Uh, okay, Swedish speech. Um, we don't oh, you're, need... you're, you're right. That's not working. Just use your natural voice. I see. Uh, we don't, uh... Oh, yes. Um, well, you see, we don't need to posit other dimensions or life on other planets. The big floating heads are actually projections. You see what I'm saying? Projections from the unconscious of the human race. I mean, at first we thought they represented our collective superego. But now, now, what they seem to be coming directly from is our it's. To say that the three camps do not get along would be to understate how much the three camps do not get along. Two years ago, at the third biennial headology conference and Dellen show, Rorschach and Mercury got into a heated debate about whether the transdimensional projection was responsible for a distortion in the sizes of the heads or whether the alien life forms were really that big. Interpretations of what happened next differ, but most versions of the story agree that Mercury had to have surgery on her left eye to remove a canopy that had lodged there, while the possibility that Rorschach would be capable of having children had decreased by over 23.4763%. Yeah, I heard all about the fighting between the headologists. I wish they'd get their shit together. I mean, if smart people don't know what's going on, how are ordinary people like me ever supposed to know? How indeed. For the alternate... We're not on TV. Do you see a camera? This is radio! For the alternate reality news service, this is Arturo Big Bang Booty. That was alternate reality news service transdimensional traffic reporter Arturo Big Bang Booty's report from Earth Prime 483884-Gamma. After the break, while his fellows continue to busily toil away at recreating a play by Shakespeare, one clever member of the Million Monkey Project has almost completely recreated Franz Kafka's short story, The Metamorphosis. Can the humanities survive? We have an exclusive interview with the semi-literate Simeon next. Stay with us. 
The moniker's Marlo, just Marlo. I used to have a first name, once upon a time, but so few people used it that it fell into disrepair and was condemned by the city planning commission. What are you gonna do? I used to be a cynical, world-weary private eye, but that was before the House Un-American Activities Committee, before Vietnam, before Watergate, before Disney bought Marvel. You get the idea. Now everybody's cynical and world-weary, and being a private eye just doesn't pay the bills. So I'm on retainer from the alternate reality news service. That's right, I'm a private freelance narrator now. This is a little story I like to call Episode 1, The Reality's Leak. Our story begins, as so many alternate reality news service stories do, with the threat of violence. Mikhail who? Mikhail Lo-Fi. Who is Mikhail Lo-Fi? The founder and the owner of the alternate reality news service. Oh. How can you not know him? He signs your paycheck. I have direct deposit. His name is on a huge sign in the lobby. I usually work from home. You're here today. I came in through the loading dock. I find it easier to avoid the other staff members that way. Oh, for goodness! He gives a 20-minute speech every year at the company's Christmas Quantica party! I'm an atheist. I'm going to start again. Ted Matheson will be visiting today. He is a federal minister. It's very important to Mikhail that he get a good impression of the company. Ted Matheson, uh... Wasn't he the Minister of Health when the epoxy virus wiped out half the population of Montreal? <coughs> uh, Ms. Brunlin Govani? He was shuffled out of that cabinet position, and anyway, it's not like any of the ridings in Montreal voted conservative. But, but, but wasn't he caught taking a bribe from Swiss cheese? Uh, excuse me, uh, Ms. Brunlin Govani, I really Swiss think... cheese manufacturer? That case had too many holes in it. He was never convicted of anything in a court of law. Ted Matheson, uh, wasn't he reprimanded by the Speaker of the House for making rude gestures at the ceremonial mace? Miss Brunlin-Govani. Okay, look. I know Ted Matheson is a complete and utter moron and a disgrace to the government, but you all have to listen Ms. to... Miss Brunlin-Govani. What do you want? I'm Ted Matheson. Would somebody please charm this guy? I'm not built for it. Ah, uh, Minister Matheson. Who are you? Name's Mubley. People around here call me Pops for reasons both obscure and vaguely unsettling. Now look. Have you ever wondered how renowned physicist Erwin Schrodinger decided on a cat for his famous thought experiment in quantum mechanics? See, Erwin, he had a choice between a cat and a dog. So he built himself a quantum pet machine for his quantum thought experiment. I don't... It was sort of like a vending machine, except without the glass, so you couldn't see inside. And it only held two objects, a dog and a cat. 
Yep, using a beryllium atom to generate a random number, once Schrodinger pressed the button, one of the animals would fall into the slot at the bottom. But until it did, it was a quantum animal in the quantum physics thought experiment. And when he did it, the cat fell? Actually, no. The dog was too big to fall down the chute. And the cat, well, the cat scratched anybody who tried to stuff it into the machine. Oh. Then why did Schrodinger choose the cat? He got scratched up pretty good, Irwin did. I'm sorry, but I really don't understand. Welcome to the alternate reality news service. Ah, this young man is our chief researcher. He will give you a tour of the lab. His name is Darren Clinkerbell. Uh, actually, it's spelled Clinkerbell, but it's pronounced Throat Warbler Mangrove. What? Science humor, if you'll follow me. Uh, sure. And this is the centerpiece of the tour. What makes the alternate reality news service possible? Minister, I give you the Dimensional Portal DM. Huh. It's, uh, it's not as big as I thought it would be. Look at that. Well, television does add about 20 pounds and several inches to any technology. Who is this? And why is he in our lab? Guys, this is Ted Matheson, Minister of Interfering with Private Industry in... Oh, we know who he is. He's the moron who let the mortel patents be bought by Lithuania. Does nobody in this organization have any respect for a cabinet minister? Uh, minister, this is Flo and Eddie. They are our chief engineers. Huh. They look like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Are they twins? Yes, they are twins. Very astute of you, Minister. They are twins by different sets of parents. Ah, well, uh, why don't you explain how the Dimensional Portal TM works so I can go back to Ottawa? Of course, Minister. Well, we use an ion capacitance coil and a particle accelerator to collapse the quantum probabilities of atoms into a different reality than the one that we experience every day. Then we use a wormhole temporarily bored from a black hole to transport our journalists between the two realities. The great thing about particles accelerated to near light speed... Uh, 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 do you think you could explain that in layman's terms? Sure. We push the red button here, a light goes on in the doorway just over there, and we push somebody through it. Amazing. And what does that mean? What does that mean, Minister? The sound the Dimensional Portal TM is making has changed. What the bloody hell? Somebody is trying to get through the Dimensional Portal TM without authorization. Is this normal? Yes. No. Maybe. Um, hello? Where am I? Who are you? No, seriously, where am I? What are you doing here? I don't know. One minute, I was in my office. Yeah, in my office, working on the Flipchuck return. The next, I was here. Where is here, by the way? Boys, what is he doing here? It could be a programming error. You wouldn't believe how complicated the program that runs the dimensional portal TM is. Do you know what's going on? Nah, I'm a stranger here myself. Okay, what is going on? Could be an anomaly in the multiverse stabilization capacitor. So you don't know what's happening? Hey, you disturbed my train of thought. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, but is this normal? Happens all the time. To know what's happening, we have to run some tests. Hello? Where am I? Now that's what I want to know. Nobody will tell me. Who are you? I'm Bob Smith. Who are you? 
I'm Bob Smith. Minister, ha- have I shown you the cafeteria? Caf- Did you know that the alternate reality news service cafeteria was rated significantly better than MIT's cafeteria by Bacteria Monthly? How did you get here? I don't know. I mean, one minute I was working on a Flipchuck return. The next, the Flipchuck return's a bitch. <laughs> Pardon the expression. Isn't it? I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Are you sure this is... Hey, aren't you? Mitchelson. Michelson. Madison. Gates. Gates? I panic. I'm Ted Matheson, Minister for Interfering with Private Industry. Maybe you could help me. I'm having trouble with the deflipchuck. Hello? Where am I? Hey, you're me. No, you're me. No, both of you are me. I need a drink. Have I mentioned how fine the cafeteria is, sir? Fine. Take me. What have... You done? What have... I done? Touch you! Mean what? Have you... Done? What? Find out what's going on, will you? I'm I'm on on it. Minister, about that trick. The narrative was humming along nicely when the producers realized that they weren't getting value for the money they were paying me. So they harassed the writer until more voiceover narration was added. Now, when most people think of modern business, they think it works at light speeds. Hi, Ralph. Hi, Jane. Report? I'm on it. Bye, Ralph. Bye, Jane. Of course, most businesses move slower than molasses in the middle of winter in a freezer in the Arctic. That's before global warming, of course. Take our current situation, for example. It only took Flo and Eddie seven Bob Smiths to realize they had to shut down the dimensional portal TM, and they would have done it too. Only they didn't have the authority. So they spoke to Brenda Bruntland Govani. Yeah, Miss Bruntland. Govani, we have a problem. Brenda Bruntland Govani had been the editrix in chief of the alternate reality news service for six years. Flo and Eddie figured that she would have the authority to shut down the dimensional portal TM. Five Bob Smiths later, they found out they were wrong. The alternate reality news service had policies to deal with such situations. Forms had to be filled out, and executives had to be consulted. Even using the emergency provisions in the service's charter, more Bob Smiths appeared before the dimensional portal TM could be shut down with the approval of the company's lawyers. Many more. How many? One hundred and twenty-seven. Why didn't you just send them back to the reality they came from? It wasn't possible. They came through the portal without any markers indicating which reality they'd come from. But it wouldn't have mattered if they had. Why not? It takes two and a half minutes to set up the portal to reset the dimensional coordinates and push the big red button. But the Bob Smiths were coming every 73.5 seconds. This means that they were coming in faster than we could return them to their home dimension. Are they still in the lab? Oh, ah, there were too many of them. They spilled out into the hall. They got between Pops and the men's room. It wasn't pretty. So where are the Bob Smiths now? After Darren got rid of the minister, he dealt with them. What did he do with them? And this is a photograph of my daughter Miranda. Oh, she's a beauty. Oh, this was taken at Habutu Airport in Shemekistan just before the revolution. If you look really close, you can see President Hamzugi boarding the plane at the car gate. Amazing. And this is a photograph of my daughter Miranda. It was taken at Habutu Airport just after the revolution. Oh dear, but the scar's permanent. Only the one across her left cheek. Oh well, that's not so. Across her chest and down her right arm. Oh. Oh. And this is a photograph of my daughter Cicatrix. 
It was taken at a location I could not name for reasons of national security. That must be a fascinating story. Oh, it is. But if I told you, I'm afraid I would have to kill you. Oh. Ah, well, this is a photograph of my daughter's secretaries, taken at our home, our three-bedroom, four-bathroom, basement, walk-up apartment, our comfortably middle-class abode, our boringly ordinary, not the least bit classified for reasons of national security domicile. No need to say it like that. I always appreciated coming home after one of my little foreign adventures. I'll be... Okay, people, settle down. Settle down, please. My name is Darren Clinkerbelly. I represent the Alternate Reality News Service. On behalf of my employers, I would like to apologize for sucking you out of your proper universe and bringing you here. And to assure you that we are doing everything in our power to return you to them. Like wearing these signs. Please have your number signs on at all times. They indicate the order you came through the dimensional portal TM. More or less. As best we could guess. Probably. It is essential you keep these numbers on at all times. So that we can send you back to your universe of origin. They're just put up pineapple boxes tied around our necks with string. Zucchini boxes, actually. Don't ask me why, but we go through a lot of zucchini in this office. What are you going to do with us? I'd like you all to get on one of the buses parked outside our offices. The buses will take you to where you will be staying until this is all taken care of. A hotel? No, not a hotel. A motel? Sort of motelish, but uh, not so you'd notice, no. A makeshift warehouse with uncomfortable cots, ready blankets, and only one bathroom for over a hundred men? Two. Two bathrooms, actually. Now, if you will all just get, get on the buses, please. He took them to the North York warehouse? Good thinking. I hope none of them are allergic to smelts. Oh, who am I kidding? I hope all of them are allergic to smelts. Okay, you two are going back down to the lab. You've got 24 hours to find the fault in the dimensional portal TM. Fix it and return all of the Bob Smiths back to their proper universes. If you don't, I will rip your lips off and feed them to my goldfish. Do you even have goldfish? I'll buy some on the way home tonight. Who is Bob Smith? What does he want? Where did he come from? Why did so many of them end up here? And how does he really feel about that scar on his daughter Miranda's cheek? We'll be investigating these and many other questions next week. This has been The Weight of Information. Episode 1, The Realities Leak, was performed by Kelly Ames, J.M. Fry, Sean Maroney, Scott McLaren, Ira Naiman, Christopher Platt, and Mitch Risman. Sound engineer Jeff Baldwin. Original music by Emilio Gim. Saxophone by Jason Woods. Everything else by Ira Naiman. Tune in next week for episode two, The Smelt of Fear.